Hi, everyone. This is Lindsay, one of the hosts of Yield Crime. Just wanted to give you a heads up that since you were listening to an earlier episode of Yield Crime, you may notice that the audio quality isn't the best. It does get better, I promise. If you are willing to stick with it, great. If you'd rather start with better quality audio, I would suggest skipping ahead to episode 19 when we purchased newer, better audio equipment. And on that note, thank you for listening and on with the show. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me today is my co-host and sister, Maddie Stangle. Hello. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, it's very strange, though, thinking of this as a week a weekend. I know. Because I feel like every day is the same day. Of the week, no matter what. I was literally just talking about that the other day. I was talking to somebody and I was trying to say what day something happened. And I was like, you know what? I can't tell you what day it was because time no. is an illusion for me right now. Like, like, I bet, you know, in Minnesota, though, you could just describe what the weather was like that day and they could tell what day of the week it was. Probably. Because, I mean. So today we are going to be discussing... Alfred G. Packer. Do you have any idea who that is? Were the Packers named after him? I would hope not. Okay. So he's like real murdery then. Yeah. This is the story of the Colorado cannibal. Gross. Oh, I remember you saying this. Oh. Oh, no. I'm so glad you were not eating right now. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Um, the cannibal aspect of this is a very small part of the story, and I will give a trigger warning when we get into the really gross part of it. Okay. Um, so if... I've already, like, made myself smaller. <laughs> My body. <laughs> so if you as a listener are like, nope, uh, I will give you a warning and um, make some fun sound when it is safe for you to come back. Okay. So, do you know that like ham button sound from Thirty Rock? No, does it just say ham? Yeah, she ham. <laughs> <laughs> you should just have that, unless it's like some copyright, and Tina Fey will come after us. You know, when we have more than ten followers. <laughs> well, I could always just say long pig because that's what they call human meat. The other way. Long pig? Long pig. Yep. Oh, God. It's like white meat, only it's man. Mm, nope. This is going to be a hard episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already struggling. <laughs> I don't anywhere yet. Oh, my palms are sweaty. Mine too, but just because I am a sweaty mess right now. <laughs> okay. All right. So information for this episode was pulled from the following sources, uh, museums of the San Luis Valley website, the Colorado State Archives, 2013 Mental Floss article, miscellaneous, 
I also pulled information from the Things to Learn from the Life and Crimes of Alfred Packer website. There are things to learn from a cannibal? Yes. Oh, God. Like not to eat people. Like don't eat people? (laughs) Just don't do it. Uh, And lastly, Wikipedia and Murderpedia, which are, of course, the standard go-tos. So, and I will have links to all of these articles in the show notes. So now we are going to learn a little bit about Alfred. So, (laughs) since there's mixed things about his name, some places list him as Alfred, other places list him as Alfred. Okay. I was going to, I was going to ask. Yeah, I am going based off of Alfred because most of the sites referred to him by that as his first name. And well, it kind of sounds funnier too. And he's a dick. So yeah, I'd rather yeah. have his name rhyme with turd instead of yeah something else. I don't know what rhymes with Fred. Dead. That would have been more apt, but too late. Yep. Okay. (laughs) So, Alfred Griner Packer was born in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, on January 21st of 1842. He was one of three children born to James Packer and his wife, Esther Esther Griner. In the early 1850s, their family moved to LaGrange County, Indiana where his dad worked as a cabinet maker and Alfred did not get along with his parents and in his teens, he moved to Minnesota oh, no. to work as a shoemaker and a printer's apprentice. Where was he in Minnesota? He was in Winona. That's close. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, what, where was he with his siblings? He left by himself with his sibling, without a sibling. No, 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 but like, was he like the oldest, middle, or youngest? They didn't say. Dang. It doesn't say. And now I'm probably going to get hate for this, but was he the middle child? <laughs> <laughs> he was the baby, and that's why he's so fucked up. I'm not going to, I'm the baby, and I agree with that. <laughs> Please don't eat people, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. This is actually an intervention. I eat corn. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also super bad for you. Mm -hmm. Zero nutritional value. But it's so good. It tastes good. So Alfred enlisted in the 16th U.S. Infantry of Minnesota for the Union Army on April 22nd, 1862 in Winona during the Civil War. He was honorably discharged eight months later at Fort Ontario, New York due to epilepsy. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Did they know about that beforehand? Probably not. No, they didn't know about that beforehand. Um, he relocated to Ottumwa, Iowa. Oh, man, he's just hitting all our spots, huh? Yep. Where he re-enlisted in the 8th Regiment of the Iowa Cavalry on June 25th, 1863. Sneaky. And less than a year later, on April 22nd, 1864, he was discharged a second time in Cleveland, Tennessee for the same reason, for epilepsy. Yeah, I feel like you shouldn't have a gun if, if, you, if you have some sort of nerve disorder. Similarly, I know epilepsy 
can manifest itself in a variety of different ways, depending on the severity. But I'm just gonna throw out there that if you're like on the field, you probably don't want to have an episode when that's happening. And the odds of that happening, because it's so high stress. Pretty high. Pretty pretty high. I feel like that's just bad news. Why did he do it twice? I don't don't know. Uh, Alfred suffered from seizures every couple days. Oh my God. In addition to having epilepsy. And over the next nine years, he would roam the Western United States working odd jobs. These included as a hunter, a wagon teamster, a ranch hand, and a field worker. And ultimately, his seizures and poor attitude would ensure he wasn't employed for very long. So he lasted like almost a full year, both times in the army, and he was having seizures almost every day. Mm -hmm. And nobody thought... That that who knows how long they lasted. It could have been something where just a tick or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to assume that they were like you know five ten minutes in length. Significant, like grandma. Yeah, I'm assuming they were small ticks that, unless you saw it happening, you probably didn't even know that it was wow. a seizure. You know, that's so dangerous. Yeah. Um, Alfred also spent a couple of months as a guide. But because he had no sense of direction and got constantly oh, no. constantly lost, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> I'd be like, West. Where are we going again? The US Bank Stadium? I think it's, you know, there by like twelve blocks. <laughs> if you go. <laughs> Oh no! Years later, we finally made it. Yeah, seriously. He eventually settled on mining, and would drift from mine to mine, performing odd jobs. But he never turned a profit, and he spent a short time in Colorado before moving to Utah. Wow! Yeah. So you may not believe this, but Packer wasn't well liked. No. Yeah. He seems like such a good dude. I know. He was often distrusted, known to steal, be quarrelsome, and just an overall difficult person to be around. And modern researchers believe, based on all the accounts they've read on him, that um, he was likely a pathological liar. Oh, probably. And depending on, like, how intense some of those seizures were, they could have done done some brain damage depending so he could have had some sociopathic tendencies potentially which in general kind of makes you more less empathetic to other people Mm -hmm. yep so now we're going to go into the expedition and kind of how did he lead the expedition since he We'll find out. A guide. That's why they died. He didn't know where he's going. We're gonna go weast. Weast. What the heck is that? You know, weast. Whatever direction you want it to be. Yeah. Whichever way the spit blows. Weast. Oh god. Oh god. 
<laughs> so in November of 1873, a party of 20 men left the Bingham Canyon mines near Salt Lake City, Utah for Breckenridge, Colorado, after news had reached them that a massive gold strike was discovered. Um, the bulk of the men were strangers, but they banded together to make their fortune in the Northwest after a man named Bob McGrew gathered together any man willing to follow him. It was nice of him to do that. Yeah. Because he didn't have to tell him about it. Well, and safety in numbers when you're traveling. I suppose, yeah. Especially since there are probably more wildlife Mm -hmm. on the route, too. Yep. So Bob McGrew set out initially with the following men. And I don't expect you to remember any of these names. Okay. So there's George California Noon, Shannon Bell, Israel Swan, Frank Miller, not the guy that made Sin City, and a different Frank Miller, James Humphrey, Preston Nutter, Jim Montgomery, Dr. Cooper. What, he didn't have a first name? Nope, he was just doctor. Just a doctor. Interesting. O.D. Lutenheiser, George Driver, Dave Shelton, Jean Frenchy Cabazon, Joe McIntosh, George Tracy, John McIntyre, Mike Burke, Old Sport of Sagouche, and Bill Murray. Miller. Bill Miller. Not Bill Murray. <laughs> I was like, wow. He's a vampire. He's a lot older than I thought. <laughs> Bill Miller. Sorry, I was reading. He's, my a, he's a vampire. <laughs> he likes to go east. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of these men, George Tracy, stated that the group met Packer about 25 miles outside the town of Provo. Uh, after asking where they were headed, Packer asked if he could join them on their journey to the San Juan Mountains. Since he didn't have any money and he didn't have any supplies, the men were kind of like, uh, what? Yeah. I'll just go with the clothes on my back. Yeah. God will provide. Yeah. But he claimed that he was both a prospector and a guide who was familiar with the territory. <laughs> was he? Wow. Uh, spoiler alert. He wasn't. <laughs> but they didn't know that. Great. So they let him join the group. Uh, fun fact. He quickly discovered that he wasn't a good guide. He also didn't have a rifle. Just a Colt revolver. Which... Um, wouldn't be very useful when traveling alone in the wilderness, you know, hunting for yeah. wild game and stuff. Um, Packer also didn't do himself any favors. He was reported as being greedy with rations, lazy, obstinate, and a bit of a beggar. At least he begged. It yeah. doesn't sound like... <laughs> this is mine. It doesn't sound like he's a beggar. Yeah. He fought constantly with Frank Miller. And his seizures also made this, his addition to the party really difficult for everybody else, which, yeah. He's just a bummer. Ruins the party. Yeah. So the party made slower progress than they would have liked. And winter was quickly upon them. And the Mormon trail that they were taking was heavily covered in snow, making it hard for the wagons and horses to make it through. And it was also hard to find. So they had to rely solely on their compass to navigate. Uh, Packer's lies began to quickly unravel and the party soon became lost. 
provisions ran out and the men had to eat rations of horse feed to survive. Mm. Which means the horses eat le- ate less too. Yep. Um, and in fact, the men were seriously considering eating the horses mm-hmm. before they reached an encampment on January 21st, 1874. They had reached Montrose, Colorado and the encampment of Chief Ore, also known as the white man's friend. So they weren't sure how the Ute, I think that's how you say it, Ute tribe would receive them, but Chief Ore treated them as honored guests and provided them with food and lodging, for which the men were very understandably grateful. Right. And he recommended that they wait until spring, as the winter weather in the mountains was really dangerous. Um, So he even, like, was going to let them stay that whole time. Yeah, he was willing to let them stay for several months until it was safe. Yep, white people suck. (laughs) Are you kidding? Yeah. Who else, who else would let you stay on their property and eat their food and live in their houses and be around their people for months? Yeah. No strings attached. Yeah. yeah. And he told them that not even members of his own tribe would attempt the journey because it was basically a suicide mission. Like, Yeah. And they know the land. Yeah. Because it's their land. So, Jeez. like I said, he offered to let them stay through the winter, but... Um, there was division amongst the men on whether or not they wanted to stay. So Breckenridge was very quickly going to be overrun with miners from all over the country. So some of the men feared that if they waited too long to continue, there'd be no gold left. They missed their chance to strike it rich. So after a couple of weeks with the Ute tribe, the party met and discussed leaving. So at this point, it was the beginning of February, and it had been snowing almost nonstop. Yeah, February, at least in Minnesota, is really, it's it's typically either coldest or snowiest month. Yeah, and I guess at this time, it was just like nonstop snow. Ugh, great. So half of the men decided they would stay until spring, because obviously the horses and the wagons wouldn't be able to make the journey. Mm-hmm. And 11 men agreed to continue. And their goal was to travel to the Los Pinos Indian Agency, which was the nearest outpost to where they were. So they were like, let's reach there first, and then we'll restock and all that kind of stuff before we finish our way to Breckenridge. And when the chiefs figured out there was no way to change their minds, he gave them some food as well as safe directions so they wouldn't have to go through the mountains so they could stick to the river. But our, our good old buddy Packer, he um, figured it was quicker to just go through the mountains instead of around them. Oh yeah. You know, weast. Yeah. He knows. Yep. And got an internal compass. Yeah. So five of the 11 men were like, nope, we're going to take the path that the chief gave us. We're going to stick to the river and you know, that's how, that's how we're going to go. And so they were going to follow the Gunnison river and Packer somehow convinced five men to follow him to the mountains. Okay. I'm just gonna, if you don't like this guy, right? Like he's kind of sucked this whole time. Yep. Why would you follow him? Like how many times has he already shown you that he doesn't know what he's doing 
he's getting you lost, he's lazy. Mm-hmm. And there were five people that still went, eh. <laughs> yeah, and stuck with him. Like, that's insane. But he was the only one of them that had ever been to Colorado. So they were using that as their basis for, well, he must know where he's going. Wow, they're terrible at making decisions. (laughs) (laughs) They were smart. So Oliver D. Lautzenheiser and four of the men left first, and they followed the river and began um, their way to the outpost. On the way, they were hit with bad weather and freezing temperatures, and even though they stuck by the river, their rations quickly ran out um, way before they reached the outpost. And in fact, they almost died of starvation by the time some cowhands with the government cattle camp near Gunnison, Colorado, happened to find them. And then they provided them with food and shelter until April. Wow. So they stayed with them for about a month then. Yep. So then Packer and the five members of his party headed out for the Indian agency on February 9th. And the men in his group included Shannon Wilson Bell, James Humphrey, Frank Miller, whose nickname was Butcher, uh, George California Noon, and Israel Swan. So they had a 75-mile journey ahead of them. Jeez. In the snow, in the mountains. With freezing temperatures. Yep. And did they have any horses at this time or was it just them? It was just them. Great. Yep. Because the horses couldn't make it through. I mean, there's so many signs mm-hmm. that say that this is a really dumb idea. That yep. this is very, very, very dumb. Mm-hmm. But you know, gold. But gold. <laughs> So, um, Bob McGrew, who was the original leader of the group, he helped guide them along the river route, um, until the horses couldn't continue anymore. And then he unloaded their provisions and headed back to the camp to stay there until spring with the rest of the party. And for a while, Packer and the men continued on the river path before he started to lead the group along the trail that led into the San Juan mountains. The men had maybe enough food for a 14 day journey, but they also had no snowshoes or heavy clothing, no Flint and a minimum amount of matches. And between them, they had two rifles, one pistol, a couple of knives, a hatchet and a small amount of ammo. So even with all that, they were like, yep, let's go into the mountains. I feel like if you were to ask anyone, even then, they would have told you that that's not enough for five men. Mm -hmm. They had no flint. No flint. With wet snow. Yep. And just a handful of matches. Wow. Yeah, wet rocks will cause fire, sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, And so after this point, no one really knows the real story of what happened next. Because then it gets gross. Yeah, now things get dark. So they left on the 9th of February. Is this the trigger warning? Should you? Nope. I will. I have it marked in my notes when I have to give you the trigger warning. (sighs) Okay. 
So they left on the 9th of February. Mm-hmm. On April 16th, 1874, Packer stumbled out of the woods and crossed a frozen lake bed to the Los Pinos Indian Agency near Sagoch. Sagoch? I don't know how to say it. I'm going to say Sagoch. <laughs> Colorado. And he had rags lashed to his feet. And the men at the agency were just eating breakfast when this guy throws open the door and starts begging for food and shelter. And the only thing he has on him is a rifle, a knife, a steel coffee pot, and a satchel. And he had rags on his feet instead of shoes. Yes. I'll, I'll explain why later. I f- yeah, I figured you would. So a little over two months later. Yes. Okay. So the men hurried him inside and gave him some food, which he like vomited as soon as he ate it. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And Packer said his digestion quote was altered as a result of his, his near starvation in the wilderness. And after several shots of whiskey, which I guess his stomach was cool with, um, he told the men about the events leading up to his time at Chief Ore's camp and that he had been hired by five men to guide them to Breckenridge. So according to him, during the journey, he became snowblind and began to lag behind. And he claimed that Israel Swan provided him with a rifle before he and the other four men abandoned him. And Packer explained that he was forced to survive and make his way out of the mountains alone with minimal ammunition and pretty much no supplies. He claimed that he lived off roots and rosebuds. But the men who listened to his story thought this was a little weird. Yeah. For someone who was, quote unquote, lost in the woods for a little over two months, he wasn't looking skeletal at all in appearance. And in fact, they said his face looked a little bloated. He told the men that he was broke and he sold the Winchester rifle that he had with him to a major downer who was the agency's justice of the peace. And he sold it for $10, which today would be 230 bucks. Wow. Uh, He spent the next 10 days at the agency before he told the men that he wanted to return home to Pennsylvania so he then headed to the nearby town of Sagosh to purchase supplies. So once he was there, he secured a room in Dolan Saloon. And the owner, uh, Mr. Larry Dolan, claimed that he spent around $100 during his stay, which in today's money would be close to $2,300. Wow. And he said that Packer even offered to lend him $300. And he also spent $78 at the general store run by a Mr. Were these all IOUs? Like he didn't physically have the money. Or did he? <sighs> so he spent $78 at the general store run by uh, Otto Mears. And it was noted that he had several different wallets in his possession. No. And he drank heavily each day. And after getting wasted... He would give conflicting stories about his journey and his detachment from the rest of his team, which quickly got the gossip mill going. I bet. Especially about the fact that he had all this money and no one had heard from his friends. So soon Preston Nutter, who was one of the 
the original guys that stayed at the mm-hmm. with the tribe. He came to town. Well, they oh he stayed with the tribe, so he he wasn't a part of the second party that was with the ranch hands. Correct. Okay, so he was a part of the original group. Yes, that were reasonable humans yes, that were smart and stayed with the tribe. Very graciously stayed with the. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So he he soon arrived at town with two other miners. When he saw Packer in the saloon, drinking and having a great old time, he asked where the rest of his group was. And Packer replied that he, quote, got his feet wet and frozen. And then he said that after his team had set up camp during a winter storm, he started a fire to warm up while the others went ahead to look for food. And he claimed that Israel's swan left him his rifle in case they encountered trouble and didn't make it back. He assumed they'd abandoned him. And as he, quote, had no idea where they went, he lived on rosebuds and squirrels as he continued on his way to Breckenridge. Changed his food. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, Nutter didn't think this added up, mm-hmm. especially because Packard didn't look like he had been starving. Nope. And it would have been fatal for five miners to just abandon their guide mm-hmm. in unfamiliar wilderness. Right. And also knowing the men, he didn't believe they were the type of people that would abandon a member of their party. And to Nutter, the idea that Swan would have left a rifle with Packer when their group only had two also didn't seem right. Right. Especially if you think about the price, like it was worth almost it was worth $230 like you wouldn't just hand that to somebody and be like here yeah I mean go bud Winchesters those were like top-notch gun yeah um and he's like you know they would have needed both of them to hunt game Mm -hmm. when they were out yep and also where was Packer's Colt revolver yeah that's missing Mm mm-hmm Conveniently. Yeah. And where was all this money coming from, considering he had been broke when he first had no money? Yeah. And Nutter also happened to notice that Packer was carrying a skinning knife that belonged to Frank Butcher Miller. And when he asked Packer how he got it, he told him that Miller had stuck it in a tree and left it there. Great. For the squirrels to play with before they killed them? Or something. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, after hear, so after hearing all this, Nutter was like, okay, something really bad happened. Yeah. And they soon began to fight and Nutter threatened to hang Packer. And he later said that Packer was, quote, sulky, obstinate, and quarrelsome. He was a petty thief willing to take things that did not belong to him, whether of value or not. So after this, Nutter left the saloon and... Packer was like, well, I need to skedaddle on out of here. Yeah, he needs to leave. Um, And then back at the Indian agency, two of the men that had set out along the river route, the ones that the cattle hands had helped, Mm -hmm. they finally arrived at the Indian agency. Okay. And then the other three men. Do you know kind of roughly, was this still in April? Yes. Okay. So, and then a couple of days later, the, the last three men showed up to the agency, and that included um, 
Oliver D. Lautzenheiser. Okay. And when they got there, they were greeted by General Adams, who told them that he had recently met with another member of their team, Alfred Packer. And he began to tell the men about how Packer had been deserted by the rest of his team. And when they heard this, they were like, yeah, no, they would not have done that. <laughs> especially to the person that was guiding them to the agency. Right. Absolutely. So Lautzenheiser told the general that Packer couldn't be trusted and that he knew something awful must have happened in the mountains. Oh. And in fact, he told the general that the Winchester rifle that um, the judge had purchased oh. belonged to an elderly party member and that the pipe that Packer had left behind was owned by Shannon Bell, another member of their party. So at this point, he has several mysterious wallets and he has various objects, at least three or four from four different people Mm -hmm. that wouldn't willingly give this stuff away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after he heard this, General Adams was like, all right, something's not right. Mm -hmm. So he sent a mounted officer to Sagosh to bring Packer in for questioning. But under the guise that he was being asked to help lead a search party for the rest of his team. Interesting. So Packer was in the middle of getting his things together to leave when Nutter and the other two miners approached him again. And the officer arrived just in time to stop a confrontation between them. Okay. And Packer agreed to return to the agency. He did it a little unwillingly. But also it was like, well, let's either go or get the shit beat out of me and possibly. Right, 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 right. So. Three against one. Yeah. So Pecker mounted a horse that he had just bought and followed the officer, not knowing that Nutter had already had a private chat with the officer before they started their journey back to the agency. So once they reached the agency, Packer was greeted by the general and the five men that he hadn't seen since February. Mm -hmm. And the officer who escorted him told General Adams that a fellow miner, Preston Nutter, had told him that Packer had spent several hundred dollars during his six-week stay in Sagosh. He was in possession of items that did not belong to him, but that belonged to his travel companions. And he had also somehow bought a new horse and saddle even though he was flat broke when he joined their party back in Provo. Yeah, and there was no job in the mountains. Yeah. So Lausenheiser demanded an explanation from Packer, who Mm -hmm. repeated the same old story and seemed incredulous that the rest of his team hadn't made it yet. And he even went so far as to act concerned for their welfare. Sure. So when Lausenheiser asked Packer how he'd come into such money, he said that he'd gotten a loan from a man in Sagouch. Hmm. So General Adams told Packer that if this was true, he wouldn't mind if he sent a man back into town to verify his story, right? Uh-huh. And Packer was like, yeah, sure. And when the guy came back, he was like, yeah, no, I spoke to pretty much everybody in town And they all said that he had several wallets 
and plenty of cash. And no one loaned him a penny. So General Adams gathered the five miners, Packer, and the agency officers to talk. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they sat down, two Ute tribesmen rushed into the agency holding strips of dried human flesh that they referred to as, quote, white man's meat that they had found on a hill near the agency where they had been hunting. Packer reportedly fainted at the news. And upon being revived, he blubbered and begged for mercy, swearing that he'd make a full confession. And after a long pause, he rather ominously told General Adams that, quote, it would not be the first time that people had been obliged to eat each other when they were hungry. And he then began to sob as he told one of what would become several different official statements over the next 30 years. So Herman Lauder, who was a clerk at the agency, transcribed Packer's first official statement. And this is paraphrased. The men had left Ore's camp with what they thought would be enough food for their 14-day journey. But before they knew it, they had used up all their provisions after navigating the difficult and exhausting terrain. The group survived for several days on ground roots, pine gum, rosebuds, and rabbit when they were able to find them. After several days with no wildlife in sight, Packer said the men started to eye each other in a peculiar way. A few days later, after returning from gathering dry firewood for camp, he found four of the men over the slain body of Israel Swan, who had died from an apparent hatchet wound to the head. The men then started to butcher Swan, with Packer, quote, accepting the situation and joining them. Swan had several thousand dollars hidden on his person, which the remaining men divided amongst themselves. After consuming, quote, the most agreeable parts, they packed up, they packed up some and moved on with Packer claiming ownership of Swan's rifle. Within a couple days, the men were again out of meat and the game continued to be scarce. Packer stated that he, Bell, Humphrey and Noon decided in secret that Miller would be the next to go as he was a stocky man with, quote, lots of soft flesh. Mm, no. He was killed with a hatchet blow to the head as he stooped to pick up firewood, then butchered and eaten. Packer took Miller's knife, and Miller's share of Swan's fortune was divided amongst the rest of the men, who then continued their way to Los Pinos. The winter was relentless with blinding snow, and it was slow going. Humphrey was next to be sacrificed, followed by George Noon. It was then down to Bell and Packer. Both men swore they wouldn't eat the other. They each had a rifle and a couple thousand dollars each of Swan's cash and assumed they could finish out the rest of the journey, even with the small amount of game they'd found. They came up with a story that the four men had perished due to the elements, were buried with dignity, and they vowed to never speak of cannibalism because no one would believe that it was, quote, necessary to their survival. Mm -hmm. After a few days with little else than some roots and a rabbit, the exhausted men set up camp next to a large lake and hunkered down for a while. Packer said that a few days later, Bell snapped out of his blanket, screaming about how he couldn't take it anymore, that one of them had to die to feed the other before he grabbed his rifle. 
Packer said he blocked the blow that was aimed for his skull and cleaved Bell in the head with a hatchet because at this point, the only thing he had left to fear was starving to death. He proceeded to tell how he'd butchered Bell and eaten as much as he could to prepare prepare for the final leg of his journey and packed a good amount of what was left away, as well as Bell's share of Swan's money. After he crested a hill and saw the Los Pinos Indian Agency below, he threw the remaining strips of Bell's flesh away. Which is why they found it. Yep. Ignorantly assuming an animal would eat them. At this point, he confessed that he didn't want to part with the flesh, as he had grown quite fond of it, especially the portion around the breasts that he stated were particularly delicious. Oh, God. So after finishing his telling, Lautzenheiser screamed in rage, but General Adams called for order and discussed with the miners and his officers what their next course of action should be. The miners claimed that they didn't believe a word of his story, as Bell was a sort of man that would have gladly given his life if he thought it might help someone else. However, they decided that they should form a search party to find the men's remains, and Adams asked the two Ute men if they knew of an area next to a lake that matched what Packer had described. Mm-hmm. And they said such a place did exist about 50 miles away across the hills. The search party was led by agency clerk Herman Lauder, who had written down Packer's statement, yep. and included the five miners from Utah, a few officers from the agency, and Packer acting as their guide, which, you know, why? Seriously, why wasn't he just left and watched? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, my God. To no one's surprise, after two weeks, as they were reaching the area of the Lake Fork of the Gunnison River, Packer claimed he was lost and didn't recognize the area. Lautenheiser called him a liar and a murderer and argued that he should be hung then and there. They found nothing. And as they started their journey back to the agency, Packer attempted to murder Herman Lauder with a large knife that he had concealed in his clothing. After being caught in the act, he was restrained and arrested. General Adams had Packer transported to Sagouche and quote-unquote jailed by the sheriff outside of town for his own protection. Why would you try to murder someone with all of those people around when you're a known murderer and cam- cannibal or like accused or cuz you're not smart. Oh my goodness. Okay. And I'm sure he figured well they're planning to hang me so I might as well go out swinging. Right, I guess. Take someone with me. Wow. So during his incarceration, Packer retracted retracted his entire story. Oh sure. Absolutely. He now claimed that they walked into a blizzard and the snow was so heavy and unending that they became hopelessly lost. The provisions ran out, as well as their matches, so they had to carry hot embers in a steel coffee pot so they could light fires. Okay. Which would make sense why he had the coffee pot. Yeah. And each day they tried to hunt for game, but none were to be found, and all ice fishing attempts were futile. They ended up roasting and eating their own shoes. So that's where the okay on their feet part came from. Yep. Because they were probably made of leather. Yep. Okay. As well as trying to survive on what edible vegetation they could find. Mm-hmm. So it was at this point in time that the men apparently entered into a pact that if one died, their meat would feed the rest to stave off starvation. 
Okay. And after hiking for days with nothing to eat, Israel Swan couldn't go any further. So they found a pine shaded gulch by a lake skirted by hemlock trees and set up camp. There's a reason I kept that description. Okay. A short while later, Packer claimed that Swan died of a lethal combination of hunger and exposure. So Packer's first signed confession read as follows. And this isn't very long. Old man Swan died first and was eaten by the other five persons about 10 days out of camp. Four or five days afterwards, Humphreys died and was also eaten. He had about $133. I found the pocketbook and took the money. Sometime afterwards, while I was carrying wood, the butcher was killed, as the other two told me accidentally, and he was also eaten. Bell shot California with Swan's gun, and I killed Bell, shot him. I covered up the remains and took a large piece along, then traveled 14 days into the agency. Bell wanted to kill me with his rifle, struck a tree and broke his gun. Struck a tree and broke his gun. So he hit him, he hit him, threw him next to a tree? So he tried to hit him with the gun and swung at him instead of shooting at him because they didn't have a lot of ammunition. Yeah. And broke the gun as he was swinging at him. Okay. That's how I read it. Got it. Packer later amended the story. Because, of course, (laughs) stating that the men endured almost 20 days from Chief Ore's camp and more than 10 without any substantial food. He claimed that James Humphrey also died of exposure and that George California Noon was killed days later by Shannon Bell, specifically so he could be eaten as there was no more meat to be had from the three men that had already fallen. Jesus. Yeah. Bell and Packer at this point swore an oath not to eat each other, he claimed, before Bell rushed at Packer with his rifle and attempted to bludgeon him with the stock. Packer said he shot Bell with his pistol before taking all the valuables from his um, fallen comrades since they, quote, wouldn't need them anymore. Mm, Right. (laughs) But he wouldn't say what the exact items were or how much money he stole from them. Okay. Um, So that August... So, wow, this all happened in February, March, and April. Mm -hmm. In August, the site of the carnage was stumbled upon quite by accident by a man named John A. Randolph, who was an illustrator that worked for Harper's Weekly magazine. Oh, wow. Okay. He, He found all five of the men's bodies at the foot of Slumgullion Pass, which is two miles southeast of Lake City, Colorado, in a pine-shaded gulch skirted by hemlock trees. So he did pretty much give away the burial site. The area, now known as Dead Man's Gulch, matched Packer's description of the area where he claimed only Bell had met his end. The saddest part was that the men had been well within hiking distance of the nearby city, Yeah, two miles is nothing compared to what they were doing. If they had descended Lake Fork instead of heading up it. Jeez. Uh, The snow that had hidden their bodies in the campsite had melted in the past four months. So John A. Randolph sketched the scene as he had found it before alerting authorities in nearby Lake City of the Grizzly Discovery. The story was covered in the October 17th, 1874 edition of Harper's Weekly, 
and included his original illustration of the site. Wow, that's pretty graphic for a magazine, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That would be pretty scandalous. So this is where we need our trigger warning. Wow, this is the trigger warning? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yep. Okay. All right, let's do it. All right. <clears throat> a Lake City coroner and local law enforcement set out for the site with some 20 volunteers and discovered the men in various states of decomp. So this would be in August, right? August. Okay. So it's hot. Yes, but they had been buried under several feet of snow. That this is Colorado and this is in the mountains. It's not what it would be like if it was here. Okay. Makes sense. Because they're, for the most part, pretty well preserved. Okay. Kind of makes it worse. Yeah. Um, So the men were discovered in various states of decomp, having been exposed to the elements and animals for four months. Mm Mm-hmm. The first people on the scene noted that extreme violence had befallen the men and the area smelled very heavily of death. Frank Miller's head was missing entirely. Holy crap. And it wasn't anywhere to be found at the campsite. Miller's and Israel Swan's corpses had been food for a number of scavengers and were barely more than scattered bones, which led the team to assume that Miller's head had been carried off by an animal, and that's why it was missing. Okay. Not that it had been kept as some sort of trophy or anything. Right. I feel like somebody would have discovered that at some point if he would have kept it as a trophy. Yeah. You kind of can't hide that. Yeah. Uh, The bodies of George Noon and James Humphreys still held the most violence. Their torsos were flayed and attached to skeletal legs. But their bearded faces remained intact, with Humphreys only slightly more decayed than Noon's. They both had suffered blows to the head, most likely caused by a hatchet based on the shape of the wound. And they both had noticeable broken bones. Oh, God. Shannon Bell's skeletal legs were splayed, with his arms at his sides uh, crudely cut to the bone. Yet the hands were still fully skinned. His body was um, a pretty horrific mass of flayed flesh. Um, yet his face still looked almost living with his thick red beard and bushy hair. Oh, goodness. Um, the lack of decay on his face led investigators to believe he was the last one to die. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like he was the last one to go. And who is this one again? This was Bell. This was the one that he said had attacked him. Yeah. All right. And that kind of checks out with it. Like, he was always consistent in saying that he died last. Yes. Um, although the worst part about Bell is that the top of his skull had been ripped open. Oh, God. Oh. The three men whose bodies were mostly intact, which was Noon, Humphrey, and Bell, had flesh and muscle removed from choice and meaty sections of their bodies with no attempt having been made to consume any organs or bone marrow. So it was just straight muscle and flesh. I don't think that makes it any better, but that's... Yeah, I kind of wondered that too, because he, he kept talking about that, but you would think that like... I don't know what you would think. Actually, I don't... I don't know. 
it's all wrong. So that's, this is like the end of the trigger warning. There's not going to be any more like super gross stuff. So long pig, long pig, long pig. Okay. The trigger warning section. So that's, that was the worst of it. Okay. So the discovery of the bodies immediately obviously contradicted Packer's testimony. Yeah. Because they had all perished in one spot, not over the course of several miles. Mm-hmm. None of it looked voluntary. Nope. Both Humphrey and Noon had large portions of, quote, edible flesh still remaining that could have been consumed before Bell supposedly went mad and attacked Packer, as he had claimed. Yeah. And the men all had tattered rags around their feet, which held to Packer's statement that they had eaten their shoes. Yep. A worn and beaten path led from the bodies to a crude shelter that Packer had apparently made. And there was evidence that they might have been killed before their supplies had even been exhausted. Jeez. Oh, so he wasn't desperate, like, at all. He just no. did it. Mm-hmm. So the shelter held possessions that belonged to all of the slain men. And the theory was that Packer had killed the men before the supplies had run out with the intention of robbing them before taking off. However, his plans seemed to have been thwarted when he appeared to have gotten snowed in, which forced him to live off his victims by slicing off meat as needed. Gross. So Preston Nutter had accompanied the officers and the coroner to the site. Mm-hmm. And he was able to help identify the slain men as those who had been part of their original party. Mm-hmm. Um, a broken rifle was found close to the bodies and law enforcement believed it had been used to bludgeon one or more of the victims before it was broken in two. So that holds with his broken in two part of his statement. I'm just really surprised that he was able to take all these men down. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I noted further down but based off how they weren't defensive wounds so you they were probably sleeping yeah oh geez and if he's getting them with a blow to the head they're not going to say anything you know what i mean yeah. it's a gunshot then they're all going to wake up right so mm. um they buried the remains of the five men at the site now it's preserved and marked off as, you know, historical property. And Okay. And the search party returned to Packer's jail cell to confront him, only to find that he was missing. Oh, that's not surprising at all. Yep. So jail, quote unquote, was a very obscure way of describing the log cabin that had housed Packer on the property of the the ghost county sheriff yeah but they didn't have to deal with cannibals often so they probably didn't have a very good setup yeah so for months packer had been living on the sheriff's property which cost taxpayers lots of money to have him housed and under constant guard mm-hmm. even though there wasn't any hard evidence there weren't any bodies and no formal charges other than the attempted murder of louder had mm-hmm. been placed against him Jeez. Packer was allegedly passed a makeshift key for his irons, some supplies, and easily made his escape. Either way, the entire town believed that Packer was guilty of robbery, murder, or both. And he was threatened constantly. 
he never divulged who helped him escape. And it's assumed that he managed to bribe a guard and they let him out. Probably, yeah. He was already a compulsive liar. I feel like that would have been relatively easy to do, mm-hmm. especially since they didn't have any evidence for so long. Mm-hmm. So why did he do it? Most people believe that Packer joined the party because he saw an opportunity to make it rich mm-hmm. by hyping up his non-existent skills as a mountain guide. But either way, his gross negligence led to the deaths of five men, which was a worse crime in the eyes of the public. The most popular theory is that he had already planned to kill and rob the five men before even leaving the chief's camp. That makes sense. Regardless of all that, Nutter and Lautzenheiser made it their personal mission to discredit Packer's, quote, qualifications as a guide. Mm -hmm. And they also pointed out all of his character flaws, not to mention the fact that he couldn't keep his own story straight. Yeah. The story itself received local, national, and even international attention with people around the world believing in his guilt. In regards to the cannibalism, it wasn't really a new concept for people, unfortunately, because the story of the Donner Party incident of 1846 and 47 was already well known. And that was like 30 some years prior. And most people were understanding of the fact that people have to do what is necessary to survive in dire situations. Yeah, especially in the mountains. Yep. Fun fact, cannibalism itself isn't considered illegal Still? in the United States, even, even to this day. Oh, what? Unless it is the result of a murder in order to consume human flesh. But if you were to just like stumble upon a dead body and decide, I'm going to eat that, you can do it. It's not against the law. I feel like we shouldn't spread that news around. I am going to retract that statement. Yeah, I really, I, I don't think that's a good idea to let people know that that's a thing. <laughs> oh, God. I read that and was like, that's gross. Is there like an organization that, like PETA for people? <laughs> like, please don't eat us. Oh, my God. It's just a person in a cage. It's like, don't. <laughs> please, no. Oh. So, did he get away with it? Let's find out. Packer was discovered in Cheyenne, Wyoming on March 11th, 1883. It was 74 when we last saw him. So it's been almost 10 years since we've seen him. Great. Under the alias of John Schwartz by one of the original members of the Utah Mining Party, Jean Frenchy Cabazon. And the two encountered one another by chance when Packer approached him to purchase some supplies. Like, he forgot what this guy looked like and was just like, hey, man. Oh, probably. I mean, if he, if he already had, like, sociopathic tendencies, which it sounds like he did, mm-hmm. he probably couldn't recognize faces well. That or, like, that shows his level of not caring at all. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Cabazon was like, uh, what? He's like, I remember you. Yep. And he quickly reported him to the local sheriff who arrested him and he contacted General Adams who he summoned to Cheyenne to confirm his identity. And then Adams accompanied Packer by train to Denver for his second confession, which Packer signed on March 16, 1883. He stated his reason for fleeing was due to fear of mob justice by the fine people of Sagouch. And because the crime was committed in Hinsdale County, Packer was sent to Lake City to await trial. 
So Packer once again changed his story, claiming that Bell had killed the rest of the men after sending Packer to scout for food in the mountains. And after being gone for most of the day, Packer told General Adams the following. Found the redheaded man, Bell, Mm -hmm. who acted crazy in the morning sitting near the fire, roasting a piece of meat, which he had cut out of the leg of the German butcher. That's Miller. Mm -hmm. The latter's body was lying the furthest off, formed the fire down the stream. His skull was crushed in with a hatchet. The other three were lying near the fire. They were cut in the forehead with the hatchet. Some had two or three cuts. I came within a rod of the fire. When the man saw me, he got up with his hatchet towards me when I shot him sideways through the belly. He fell on his face. The hatchet fell forwards. I grabbed it and hit him in the top of the head. There wasn't a gun, really. It wasn't a rifle used during that. Well, and they never mentioned, like, when they, when they went to go see the bodies, they never mentioned a gunshot wound. Mm-hmm. Ever. Nope. Uh, Packer claims he lost his revolver in the snow during the scuffle. Remember, he didn't have it. Yeah, but they would have found it. Yeah. And that he constructed a shelter for himself away from the bodies once another storm blew in. Which they found. Yep. He was starving and made the decision to eat or die along with the rest of his party. He stated, I went back to the fire, covered the men up and fetched to the camp the piece of meat that was near the fire. I made a new fire near my camp and cooked the piece of meat and ate it. I tried to get away every day, but could not. So I lived off the flesh of these men the bigger part of 60 days. Oh, my God. He ate them for two months. That's what he says. Their flesh would be so gross by then. But it was the dead of winter. Yeah, but still, that would have been some sort of decaying. And he, like, didn't have any fire. He just had the hot embers. But even embers disintegrate and go away. There's no, like, flame-broiled people. Nope. Oh, God. So when General Adams asked why he hadn't told him this nine years ago, Packer replied that he, quote, was excited. I wanted to say something. And the story, as I told it, came first to my mind. He was excited to tell the story? Yes. And that was the first one that came to his mind. Okay. Yeah. Um. The the prosecution argued that the only logical reason a man would have attempted such a doomed expedition in the first place was for the sole purpose of murder and robbery. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since they like also foolishly thought that it would only take two weeks for them to go through that mountain pass in the dead of winter with all that snow. With a 75 mile journey. Yeah. In two weeks. Yeah. No. Um, so at the start of Packer's trial, Israel Swan's family reported that he had left for the expeditions with $6,000 in cash and gold, which today would have been around $137,000. Wow. He just like had that on his person. Yep. As well as his Winchester rifle that would have fetched a lot of money. And if you factor in that he was 65 years old when he passed away, it was clear to anyone to see why he would have been viewed as an easy mark. Mm-hmm. Why would a 65-year-old man agree to go through a mountain pass in the dead of winter? Like, that just... Greed? I don't know. I know. The greed must have been really overwhelming. Or, like, his desire to provide for his family. But even if you were, like, desiring to provide for your family, why would you have that much money for just yourself? Yeah. Unless you were intending to start a new life out there. Which happened. Yeah. Um, it isn't known if the other members of the group were working with Packer to kill Swan mm. so that they could also get a share of his money. Okay. Yeah, that could be a possibility. 
and that he turned on them or um, if they were killed because they had witnessed the crime. Either way, Packer wasn't seen with any gold in his possession and the money he did have left was less than a thousand dollars after his spending spree. Yeah, he spent pretty frivolously. Mm -hmm. So on April 6th, 1883, his trial began in Lake City, um, where he pled not guilty. And after seven days of examinations and testimony, Judge Melville B. Gary found him guilty of premeditated murder of Israel Swan and sentenced him to death by hanging on May 19th, 1883. It was believed that Swan perished on March 1st after putting up what appeared to be a struggle based on the condition of his corpse and that the rest of the party were murdered in their sleep after Packer had killed Swan. So I wonder then if they had agreed to not do anything to him and were probably going to turn him in or something after he killed him and then he killed them instead. Yeah. Or maybe they didn't care. Maybe. I don't know. Gross. It's all just gross. Yeah. Like, how could you sleep? How could you sleep? Yeah. Especially when their faces were there. Yeah. So several members of the original Utah mining party and the people of Sagosh, 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 testified against Packer. And that included Otto Mears, the shopkeeper, Larry Dolan, who was the saloon owner, Lautzatizer, and Nutter was the prosecution's key witness. Yeah, because he had been there pretty much the whole time after... Almost right when he came into town. Mm -hmm. And official court records list the sentence as follows. And they call him Alfred here. Alfred Packer. The judgment of this court is that you be removed from hence to the jail of Hinsdale County and there confined until the 19th day of May, A.D. 1883. And that on said 19th day of May, 1883, you be taken from thence by the sheriff of Hinsdale County to a place of execution prepared for this purpose at some point within the corporate limits of the town of Lake City in the said county of Hinsdale. And between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. of said day, you, then and there, by said sheriff, be hung by the neck until you are dead, 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 and may God have mercy upon your soul. So apparently hangings also have the same time frame as Amazon delivery? Yes. Cool. <laughs> Or service by your internet provider. Right. <laughs> your cable company, plumbing. Good, good to know that business hasn't changed. Exactly. In a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, Packer was spared the death penalty on a technicality when the lawyers discovered that murder statutes for 1874 had been repealed and replaced with a savings clause. So in October of 1885, his sentence was reversed by the Colorado Supreme Court based on an ex post facto law, which means that the government couldn't sentence a man to death for committing a crime before Colorado officially became a state. Who was the jerk that did all that research to let him go? Right. Who did that? Are you kidding me? That's like, that makes me so mad. There's a, um, his name was like Carl or like Todd. Kevin. Kevin. 
This didn't save him from being charged, however. A second trial was held in Gunnison with a new judge presiding to ensure he was able to receive a fair and unbiased trial. Sure. After a swift trial and an even quicker verdict, Packer was convicted of five counts of voluntary manslaughter. A much lesser charge. Yep. Much, much lesser. Yep. And sentenced to 40 years in prison on June 8th, 1886. At the time, this was the longest custodial sentence in U.S. history. And let me guess, was he able to use the past years, the prior years to count for his sentence? No. Okay. So that is a very, very small victory. Yeah. So during his second trial, local hunters and officials stated that even though the winter of 1874 was one of the worst they'd experienced, the area where the men were traveling still held plenty of active game and wildlife, which severely damaged Packer's claims that there was no food. They also stated that the area of the San Juan Mountains where he chose to hike had an average snowfall of depths as high as over six feet, in addition to freezing temps and blistering winds. So even though he had been given a safe route to travel that would have also given them the opportunity to catch fresh fish, his decision to take such a dangerous route in the dead of winter was basically suicide. Um, And Packer had the balls to take the stand in his own defense with his story staying the same as during his first trial. And he requested that he be charged the 40 years as stated, but only for the death of Shannon Bell, as that was the only person he claimed to have actually killed. Mm -hmm. His request was denied and he was sent to Cannon City Penitentiary to serve out his sentence. Hacker filed numerous appeals on his case and sent letters to local newspapers claiming he was convicted unjustly. Sure. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And on June 19th, 1899, his sentence was upheld by the Colorado Supreme Court, but he was ultimately paroled on February 8th, 1901, after a campaign spearheaded by his old friend Dwayne Hatch and the sensational writings of Denver Post reporter Polly Pry, which painted Packer as a, quote, common man who fell victim to circumstances beyond his control. At least we have names now of the dirtbag trash people who let a psychopath out. Yeah. And I don't use that term lightly. Uh, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. He was pardoned by Governor Charles S. Thomas, uh-huh. and he ended up serving only 18 years of his 40-year sentence. I hate everything. This, okay, this uh, is what we're talking about in terms of white privilege. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. If there is ever an example of what white men can get away with in this country, even back then, you can kill rob and eat five other dudes and only serve 18 years 20 years after you did it yeah that sounds about right cool 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 yep you're gonna hate the rest of this Just <laughs> after parole packer served as a guard at the denver post for a time before gaining employment as a ranch hand mm. He died on April 23rd, 1907, at the age of 65 in Deer Creek, Colorado. His death was listed as due to dementia, although a clinical cause was described as a result of a stroke. 
He apparently became a vegetarian prior to his death and was well-liked by children, who he told great stories to. God! He lived modestly and was a, quote, charitable man. Was he a pillar of the community? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so mad! Oh, and it gets better, Maddie. He was given a full military burial in Littleton, Colorado, with his veterans tombstone listing his regiment in 1862, but he was never successful in getting an official state pardon for his crimes. Because the state didn't fucking exist when he murdered those people. True. Um, the Littleton Cemetery Association cemented over Packer's grave in 1973 to deter grave robbing and vandalism. There is also a conspiracy that his dissected skull was actually sold to Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum for a cool 20K by an anonymous party. And that's the effed up story of Alfred Alfred Packer, the Colorado cannibal. Oh my God. (laughs) I am so not okay right now. (laughs) I'm so mad. Oh God. All right. Digest it. Not to make a pun on the whole cannibalism thing, but like. I was just going to say. But like, let it out. Tell us why you were so disgusted. What are your thoughts, Alfred? I mean, I don't even know truly where to begin. Like, as as much as I would like to think this was probably an uncommon occurrence, I have a feeling that these types of crimes and situations were probably more common than you would think. Mm-hmm. And I bet a lot of people got away with similar situations often because you could just continue out West mm-hmm. or um, like, I, I can't imagine how dangerous it would be being a minor anywhere. Um, well, and not only that, but it's like, if you were stupid enough, and I say that in the kindest way possible, if you were <laughs> stupid enough to travel by yourself into unknown territory and people just lost contact with you, they would assume you succumbed to the wilderness. Right. They wouldn't assume that you were murdered no. by someone because how would they know? Yeah. Well, and I, the military honor thing. I knew that would piss you off. Oh my God. Like the guy was an absolute monster, mm-hmm. a convicted killer. Before it was overturned because it wasn't a country or a state or whatever the fuck. Sorry. I'm so mad. I can't even get anything straight. (laughs) Um, And he still was buried with full military honors. Like that's so awful. And that's so insulting Mm -hmm. to all of the other fallen soldiers that completely deserve Mm -hmm. that type of burial and respect. Yeah. That's just... Well, and he even had his tombstone replaced at one point because it had been vandalized. So, I mean, they even paid money to replace his tombstone for him. Which is insane because, like, did the five dudes he murdered ever officially get a tombstone? Like, they were barely properly buried. Like, I feel like I shouldn't look that up because I know I would imagine there is a marker for them at that site because. Yeah, a marker. Yeah. But, like, no, I, I get what you're saying. Were any of them soldiers at one point? Did they get any, like, depending on how old they were, they could have been a part of the Civil War as well. 
Like, and I think that's the saddest thing about all this is we know next to nothing about them, but we know all this shit about him. Right. Because of what he did. Yeah. It's just so infuriating. And this is like at a time where you could have done mob justice and they could have just taken him out of that log cabin and hung him, you know, several times during all of this where he could have just been lynched basically. Yeah. And no one would have batted an eye. And it, did, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of cosmic joke is that, that he got away with so much and got to live so long blowing smoke out of his ass. And he, he literally talked people down from what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, did nobody remember the fact that he admitted to liking eating human flesh? If I knew that there was a man who had eaten human flesh and enjoyed it and got away with murder and was talking to either one of your daughters, mm-hmm. I would kill him. Mm-hmm. If he even so much as looked at them the wrong way, I would claw his eyes out. Are you kidding me? Like, I just don't understand how he existed at all. Like, at all. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, obviously they didn't have, you know, a registry at that point of, you know, offenders. You could have literally done anything. Like, I mean, he had Mm -hmm. a new identity. Mm Mm-hmm. You could just go to a different state and be like, yep, my name's Jeff. Yep. I was named after my father. And there was at one point in one of the articles I read, and I can't remember which one it was, um, where there was like a quote from a kid that like remembered him as a kid. And he was like, yeah, I always thought he was the nicest guy because he would tell us all these interesting stories about life on the frontier and all this stuff. And I had no idea that he was like this. That's terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Nope. 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 Yep. Hate all of it. Burn it down. <laughs> Burn it all down. <laughs> okay. No, yeah. it's all bad. It's all bad. We need to start over. Burn it down. Yep. Can we do one about like puppies? <laughs> <laughs> like living their lives and nothing bad happens. Let's see. A good thing. Um, oh, wait. Before you do a good thing, you had mentioned to me before we started recording that you had a correction that <gasps> you wanted to make. Yes. The first episode. Okay. Our first episode was about the trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you pick up from here. Okay. So our dad, who um, it's his relative that uh, his grandmother. Yes. Rose. Rose would have been his grandmother. Um, was the one who was in an asylum. The daughter that was born there was actually only with Rose for a year, maybe two, not 16. I don't know why I said 16. I feel awful that I was that wrong. Like, so bad. But then she ended up living with an aunt um, for the rest of her formative years before she grew up and moved on. Um, So I just wanted to say that, that I was super wrong and very dumb. And it was only like a year or two and not 16, which makes me feel a lot better about her life growing up. Um, So sorry, dad. Thank you for telling me. Um, Thanks for being one of our 10 listeners. He was, he was even like super nice about it. Wasn't even mad. He was just like, uh, you're wrong. 
(laughs) (laughs) Crap. (laughs) Well, this is what it feels like. Right. It's probably going to be a consistent thing of me being wrong, but we'll see. Well, and I probably have pronounced a lot of towns wrong and I should have looked up how to pronounce the Indian tribe in today's story. I'm hoping that how I said it was correct, but I'm sure if it wasn't, someone will, maybe someone down the road will correct me and I will feel really bad about it. Yeah, probably. It's going to be one of those things where like you're sleeping, you're trying to get, go to bed at night and you think about every wrong thing you've ever done ever. That's why I have anti-anxiety medication. (laughs) Mental health medication. Oh boy. So yes, I was very wrong. That is the truer statement. We don't know if she was there for a year or two. My dad thinks it was probably about a year before she moved with her aunt. So, yeah. Um, so to a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a few days with our parents. Um, I stayed at their house for almost a full week. Um, And I had to bring my cat, Smooch, and my dog, Willie. And our parents have three cats and two dogs. So it was a full house. And um, No partridge in a pear tree, though. Just a a really annoying (laughs) woodpecker outside. (laughs) Smooch has been there before. Uh, There was a period of time in my life where I was homeless for two weeks while I was scrambling to find a new apartment. And so Smooch, unfortunately, had to live without me while I looked for a place. Um, but we were nervous because, you know, cats tend to not get along with other cats. And uh, they have a younger cat. His name is Felix. And he's a black cat. And he's very cute. Um, he had a crush on Smooch. And they basically, like, fell in love <laughs> while we were there. And it was very sweet. Um, He stared at her a lot, like a lot. Most of the day, he would just like lay across the hall in front of her door and just stare at her. But they came together with their mutual love of catnip. And um, he he upset his sisters and they beat up on him after they found out that he became friends with her, which was kind of a bummer. They literally like hissed at him and like smacked him around a little bit after he smelled like her, but it was really cute. And, um, I think Smooch was actually a little sad that we had to come back. So we had joked that the next time I come visit, instead of just bringing Willie, I'll bring Smooch and she'll just be a travel cat. (laughs) We'll just like come with us, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned. But She's an older lady. I don't want to like stress her out by moving her a lot, but she really liked mom and dad's house. It has a lot of windows and a lot of nature. So I knew she'd like it because it has a bunch of birds and squirrels and stuff like that. Little spiders and stuff in the windows to look at. That's cool. What about you? I was going to tell you, because I have recently delved into the world of scented candles. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and I picked up a Leo scent of candle by Studio 62 at Target. And it smells fucking amazing. And it is, I, I specifically kept the thing so I could tell you what it's, the scents are. So it's white amber, iris, sandalwood, and sage. Oh, I'd like that. How did they know? I don't know. I was going to get you one for your birthday. So stay tuned. 
Um, because um, we are both Leos. Yeah. Yes, we are. We traded birthdays. We did. We didn't know it at the time. Good. I was two weeks late, and she was two weeks early. Six years apart. Yup. 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 All right. Anything else? I don't think so. No. All right. Well, in that case, um, you can find us online at yeoldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yeoldcrimepod on Twitter and yeoldcrimepodcast on Instagram. You can also email us at yeoldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any stories you'd like to request, um, it can be anything that's murdery, true crime, paranormal. I love that we just like included paranormal and it's a yield crime. Well, I mean, there are paranormal aspects of crimes. Usually hauntings have to deal with murder or crimes. Stretch. <laughs> I'm not complaining because I think it's really interesting. Yep. But yeah. Um, I mean, we did cover a cryptid. So I know. 